Hey there, welcome to the Pretty Little Tribe podcast, a space to talk about all things life, fertility, parenthood, and everything in between. My name is Elizabeth. I am an international fertility coach, ICF certified life coach, birth and bereavement doula, and new parent educator. Join us as we support the tribe throughout their journey from conception to bringing your new baby home and everything along the way. See you in the episode. Welcome back to the Pretty Little Tribe. Today, I am so excited to have Kelly Stewart here today. She is a writer, producer, and actress who began her film and television career by playing Keisha Jones in the Sony Pictures 2005 hit comedy, Guess Who? She's also known for her roles on TV, including Ava DuVernay. I can never say this last name right. DuVernay? Duvernay. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Cherish the day. Chicago Med, Killing It, All American, Paper Girls, The Soul Man, My Boys, AP Bio, and Netflix on my block, just to name a few. That's a mouthful. You can find her lots of places. <laughs> Kelly's also a successful fertility blogger and creator of the host Warrior Wednesdays, which I love. It's an interactive fertility talk show focused on reproductive health, told from the Black women's and men's experience super powerful if you haven't checked it out please do and kelly's film 29 eggs based on her own fertility journey is currently in development so that is quite a bio kelly thank you so much for being here there's so much that i want to get into just from that but um i think first off can you give us a little insight into the film that you're creating about your own journey 29 eggs well, certainly. Um, when I was 37 years old, almost 38, actually, I froze my eggs. I ended a seven-year relationship, not realizing at the time that I had given away my best baby-making years to the wrong relationship, to the wrong person. I didn't really understand my biology. I didn't understand AMH, FSH. Um, you know, I always thought I would cross the fertility bridge when I got to it. And I yeah. wanted that relationship, marriage, baby. And, you know, that's all just going to happen. Like, right. that's what life is. And it right. didn't happen that way. So when I froze my eggs, um, some years still went by and I wasn't quite where I wanted to be in life relationship wise. And I sort of panicked. And even though I had frozen 29 eggs successfully, which was um, not common. I want to be clear. It's not yeah. common, especially in one cycle. I had 32 eggs and 29 were frozen, um, especially at that age. Um, but again, freezing your eggs is freezing your potential fertility. Nothing is guaranteed. Yeah. But after a few years went by, um, I kind of panicked of like, okay, God, what are you doing here? And I called the embryologist and the doctor and, um, they told me, don't worry, a lot of women call here panicking, even after they've had a successful retrieval like you did. And there was something about a lot of women call here panicking that really upset me um, from the medical standpoint, but also just a personal standpoint of we don't wait. We wait until we're in a panic situation mm -hmm. before we find out how our fertility works. And I didn't even know that there was tests that we could do to find out our ovarian reserve or at least an, a gauge of it um, and things like that. And so that's when I immediately started writing uh, 29 eggs and um, called my manager, Robin Bluestone, who also is on her own fertility journey and said, let's sell this thing and let's try to have this conversation 
in a different platform. And um, we did, and we were lucky to be in development with it. Amazing. So it's so cool and it's so poignant too, because we really are not educated in any of these areas. You know, it's like you've learned about your period maybe, and that's kind of the extent of it, not even extensively about that, of what that means and is it normal and is it not normal and when is ovulation and all of these things. So thank you for bringing that awareness to people. I, I also froze eggs at 36. Um, I had only 11, so 29 is definitely rock star status in any, <laughs> any age, I feel like. So that's amazing. Um, but at the same time, I feel like there's this, I remember my doctor saying, and I don't know if your doctor said this to you too, but it's, um, it's, as you mentioned, it's no guarantee. It's basically like an insurance policy, right? Hopefully it'll work out and, and hopefully you won't need it really, which is what I was told. I went at 30 first first time to freeze my eggs and he said you're too young come back granted this was 10 years ago now so the technology is much better um and then when i went back at 36 he said okay well yeah the fact that you're not in a relationship we'll do it now but at the same time still keeping in mind that there's really no guarantee in that and that was a little bit hard to get my head around right like we're spending all this money going to all this effort to do ivf on our own only to know that maybe it will work, right? And mm -hmm. did you have any of those feelings too? Or were they really not pushing that as far as like, don't get your hopes up kind of thing? Well, you know, I had all of the feelings, but I, yeah. I really, you know, I felt I was, I was mad at my life. I was disgruntled mm -hmm. by my circumstances. You know, having a fertility specialist in the gap of my thighs was not my ideal start to even to motherhood, let alone possible motherhood. Right. Um, but so it was very challenging for me emotionally. I, I cried the whole time, but they weren't just sad tears. Some of them were happy tears that I was empowering myself to take control of my fertility yeah. and my future. But I will say to your point about, you know, being told this is not a guarantee, but I would rather have them than not. And I think that most people that are in similar situations that I was in or that you were in at the time um, would answer that question the same way is that having the insurance policy, though it's not a guarantee, it is something that has changed the way I've dated. It's changed the way I've looked at my future. You know, you used to go out dates and think, oh, is this guy or woman or whoever you choose, um, are, are we having fun together? Are we this? Are, you know, are we compatible? And I'm really like, for the potential other parent of my child. And I don't think I really thought about that in my 20s and even my early 30s, I wasn't really um, focused in. And so for me, that insurance policy is, it's a lifeline of hope. And if I'm paying for that hope, I would rather have it than not. A hundred percent. I could not agree with you more. It was a certain level of relaxation or something around like you didn't feel so desperate to find a guy and it it kind of took the pressure off i i will say yeah. and that's what i mentioned to other women that are considering it you know just have that in the back of your mind too right i have a lot of friends that were going out literally just to meet the baby daddy so to speak because they were getting older and to take that off the table really enables you to look at it from a different perspective of like okay i have this in my back pocket that you know worst case scenario 
I can do this in a different way. And I think that that really is so empowering to, to go about it that way. Did you know somebody who had done it or how, like at what point did you figure out, okay, this relationship is not going well. And I think this is something that I need to consider. Or did you know someone who had done it that you're like, I think I'm going to do that too. How did well, that come it's, about? A, it's a, a little bit of both. Actually. I, I will say the relationship was seven years, but I knew within two years, oh, this is kind of embarrassing and truthful at the same time, because I do think a lot of people go through this where I kind of knew in two years, this may not be the person for me, but I'll be blunt. I was afraid to be single. I was mm -hmm. afraid to be in my thirties and not have found the person yet. And so I just wanted to stick it out and see where would things change? And sometimes we lie to ourselves when we want something so badly. And so it took a while for those blind spots in me to actually be woken up and for me to choose me and say, no, this is not the right path for me. So I'm proud of that journey. Um, in addition, I didn't know anyone that had specifically frozen their eggs because they had not yet met the right person or they hadn't been to their career place yet, or they hadn't traveled the world or whatever the reasons are that we prolong family building. But I did have a, have a friend who um, was in her late twenties, who was married and having fertility issues and was going through IVF. And I think that that's something that's really important to mention is that, you know, the sooner you preserve your fertility, if that's your option, the better, but mm -hmm. we also have to recognize that sometimes people in their twenties, people with ovaries, um, people with sperm even, um, may not have the fertility that they think that they have endometriosis, right. fibroids, all those things happen. And she was not fertile. And she went through all of this um, egg retrievals, and it wasn't working all the way until her sister uh, said that she would donate eggs to her. Oh. Um, and I was thinking about it at the same time that this was happening. So I'm thinking I'm older than her by, you know, almost 10 years, she's having issues and maybe this is something that I should do. And so when I decided to leave the relationship, um, it was an instant decision. We broke up on a Wednesday and I'm sorry, on a Sunday. And by Wednesday I was at the fertility clinic. And when I found out that I was a good candidate, I called my mother in Philadelphia, flew her out to Los Angeles. And we really made this really fun game out of it. You know, she was like freezing her potential grandchildren. And I bought her, you know, a, a ring that was the shape of an egg. And, and we, we did it during a Christmas holiday. And um, we really found a way to make it a special bonding experience. So whether that's with a parent or whether that's with a friend or an aunt or whatever, I think that finding a way to bring joy into these circumstances is really the best way to go about it. And I think my body, I think it thanked me for that. Yeah. yeah. That mindset makes a huge difference as well, right? If you have that support and bringing joy into a situation that's pretty heavy normally, right? Yeah. And I think it makes such a big difference. How was IVF for you? How did that go? Was it easier than you thought? More difficult than you thought? How did, how was it? Well, my mother and I are like, a, we're a really bad, like Delma and Louise, like, but without the, <laughs> without the car trip and shooting the guy, like we are, um, we're just a comic duo. So for us, we, you know, I was focused on making this an experience that I would somehow figure out how to treasure. I made videos of myself 
Mm-hmm. I made a diary to my future unborn child. And um, I really tried to make it fun. But in terms of like how it really was, medically, yeah. it's hard. You know, yeah. we, we, this is, it's one of those things that no matter how many times you hear any kind of verbal explanation, you really don't know until you go through it. Right. I was terrified of all of those needles going into my abdomen. I was tired a lot. I became extremely bloated. There's a lot of blood tests that are done every single day as they measure all the follicles and how they're growing. So it took a toll on me. I imagine too, with you said 32 to start, like your abdomen Mm -hmm. must've been so heavy, right? Oh my goodness. I can't even imagine. Very heavy. I was eating like a crazy person. My mom called the doctor several times, like she eats and falls right to sleep. I was crying. I was, you know, Mm. it was hard and it was scary, but it was also the first thing that I was doing for my future family. And I just kept that in the front of my mind. And I remember when the doctor, when I went into recovery, um, my mom is actually the one that woke me up and I heard her telling me how many eggs. And I was like, that's, that's not true. That's impossible. And um, the doctor came in and confirmed. And then he looked at my mom and he said, you know, she is a very, very um, headstrong patient. She asked me a tons of questions and, and was even starting an argument with me right before I went under. (laughs) And I was, you know, and uh, he said, and my mom said, oh, who are you telling? Because if they were doing this procedure in my day, her ass would still be frozen. And so she was <laughs> making this amazing joke about it. But what I found when I got home is when I heard that over and over again in my head was that this was not available to my mom. It wasn't available to my aunts and, and, yeah. and my grandmother. And I thought to myself, wow, I'm really not just doing this for me, because regardless if I use those eggs or not, my mother and I now have a birthing experience where, where we birth 29 frozen eggs together. And so I think that when we think about the opportunities that we're given as people with ovaries right now with this science and where it is, um, it really isn't just about us. You know, it's the people that came before us that didn't have the opportunity to even try this. Absolutely. It blows my mind every day in the work that I do to know that we have the technology now to do so many things that are incredible that to your point, people before didn't have. And I think that leads to my next question about advocating how through this journey, at what point did you decide I'm going to use my voice to to be advocating for this? Well, I thought it was going to be the 29 eggs movie until COVID hit. And that stalled everything in development and production because now your movie is pushed all the way back and others are in front of you and you don't know when it's going to happen. And that's part of the reason why you guys haven't seen it yet. Although I wasn't in a documentary called Eggs Over Easy, which I urge people to check out on OWN by Mm -hmm. Shaquita Lockley, another um, amazing um, fertility advocate. And and that you will see um, my journey documented there and many, many beautiful Uh, women of color documented there. Mm -hmm. Um, But the advocacy came when COVID quarantine hit. And basically, I couldn't shoot the film, but I still wanted to talk to people that the film was for. And so I started Warrior Wednesdays um, on IG Live, because that's what everybody was doing. Everybody was getting on live and, and talking about being home. And I thought, well, I would rather talk to the people that um, I want to help serve in this community and give voice to. 
And I did not know when I started Warrior Wednesdays that it was going to become what it became. I didn't know that I was going to be purposed with the advocacy that it, it entailed and that it required. And so I did my homework and I spoke to a lot of doctors, Dr. Um, Cindy M. Duke, Mm -hmm. of the Nevada Fertility Institute is one of my dear friends and has been such a help in educating me about everything that happens below the belly button in, in um, uh, someone that identifies as female. And so I really, really wanted to make sure that I wasn't just speaking from, you know, a place of my own journey, but a place of true education. And we've done 39 episodes, including with men. Um, that go through male factor infertility. I cry on Warrior Wednesdays. Yeah, I, I was going to say the men, especially, I feel like is so powerful. Oh, so powerful. I had to put them all on the same episode because they needed each other. You know, it's yeah. very, very vulnerable to get out there and say, yeah, this, I thought I was, she was the problem and it was me or, you know, and, and, and actually I was with one of them yesterday, the adoptive mm-hmm. story that we talk about in the last man um, I was with him, his his beautiful wife, Dominique, and their beautiful uh, adoptive son, Masai. So these things come all full, full circle. And then the advocacy led me to the Empire State Building for National Infertility yes! Awareness Week. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> How did that all come about? I can't wait to hear about that. First of all, were you just like freaking out about the fact that you were there and turning an orange light on what it was insane because i spent 10 years i lived in new york and never and you know as many times as i passed the empire state building living there i never thought that number one i would be that high up or definitely not turning on a light and um and this is the thing you don't know what those eggs are for i landed in new york and i have to tell you this and the minute that my my feet hit the pavement of New York City during National Infertility Awareness Week, I knew the purpose for those 29 eggs, that if I never use them, they have served a bigger purpose. They are already being used to the best of their ability. Never Absolutely. did I think that um, I would be in this position, especially as a woman of color, because we are not often in the mainstream conversation of fertility, because there's a lot of misconceptions that Black women are fertile, and that goes all the way back to enslaved African women, and there's a whole plethora of things that I could say, and I did take the chance to say them on the mic um, in front of the as press, you should. but as yes. I should, right, yes. but Resolve and Progeny brought me to New York City. Resolve, I um, hosted one of their virtual galas. I was introduced to them by an advocate by the name of Nichelle Turner, I'm, I'm sorry, Nichelle Polston. And um, we began working together and Rebecca Flick and I just bonded and over Warrior Wednesdays and Resolve and everything that they do. And Selena Yang from Progeny, the year prior during National Infertility Awareness Week, I gathered every woman of color advocate out there and had a massive three hour live. So there was about 20 women on this live that we kept rotating because a lot of times people don't know where to seek help and we're there. Right. We may not have the biggest platforms and it was my opportunity to say, Hey, know this doula, you know, meet this, this blogger, this endometriosis blogger and progeny was Selena Yang. So 
Rebecca and, and Selena got together and they sent me the invite and I nearly fainted. There would be nothing that would stop me from doing it. And yes. I just have to mention Allie LaForce, who also turned on that switch for me. She's an amazing um, sportscaster and an amazing new friend of mine. She became my bae, y'all, my B-A-E. Like she's my baby mama, no matter what. Yeah. Because that, that day we just, we brought every story, all of your stories, everybody listening, and to you, we brought you guys with us. We cried, we prayed, we turned, see, I'm going to get like teary-eyed now. We turned that thing on, not for us, but for everybody that is in the journey suffering in silence and you don't need to be. We wanted everybody to know they matter. Yes. It was such a huge, huge moment for all of us that are continually trying to get people to listen, right? Infertility is a thing. Like I listen, please let like hear the hear the stories. You're not alone to your point, all of those things. And then to see you guys up there shining this orange light to spark this conversation with people that are on the street or or not on the street seeing it somewhere else virtually to say what is the orange what does that mean what you know mm -hmm. having these conversations that's all i've ever wanted is to say oh tell me more about that right because that's gonna have a domino effect on the person in line at starbucks or your neighbor who's going through something for them to know this is so common you are not alone it will be okay we there's so many people here to support you it literally i cried you know yeah it was it was life-changing for all of us who saw you guys up there doing this and it was such an empowering moment not only for like you're saying so many times over in this conversation not only for us but those to come in this journey, right? To have no idea what they're getting into until it comes to you, right? You don't mm -hmm. know that this is even a thing until it knocks on your door. And then all of a sudden you're in this fast track to educate yourself and to get to know who can support you. How do you navigate this situation and whatever? And I feel like this just takes everybody leap years ahead to say, yeah. you know, you, all you need to do is make one or two phone calls and there's somebody there to help. You know, it's, it's changing. There's somebody there. Somebody had said something to me before that's in the infertility journey that said, it's the worst club with the best members. Yes. And what they really meant was, you know, this is, this is the club you don't want to have to join, of course. And we hope that people will not have to join. But if you have to, we hope you do, because it really does have the best members you will never ever be alone in the infertility journey as long as you are open to sharing hey i'm here too um this is affecting me too and i think that yeah. the one thing that those orange lights on that day really represented as well is that so many of us don't tell even our closest friends that we're going through infertility or that we're freezing our eggs you know just i'll very briefly say that I had a beautiful friend, I shouldn't say had, but I have in my heart, but she's now in heaven. Her name is Shannon that was going through cancer, uh, stage four colon cancer, and then it came back in her liver. And before she went into radiation, um, before it came back, um, they told her that she would have to freeze her eggs. And she and I were supposed to have lunch the day mm -hmm. that this news came down and she called and she was crying because she was just so tired of, I don't want any more needles. And I just, 
Now I have to do this. And I said, Shannon, I froze my eggs in the car. I'll come over. I'll show you how to do this. I'll give you your first shot. And I realized when I was driving over there, terrified by the way, y'all, because I'm afraid of needles. Okay, let's be clear. <laughs> but you but took it for the team. Me. I had to take it for the team. But I realized when I was driving over there that I didn't share with her mm. that I was freezing my eggs because, you know, it's a two week process. And I thought about it and I called my mom and it's over Christmas. And I didn't call my closest friends and say, I'm doing this until after it was done or until it came up in conversation. And there was a few people that knew, but Shannon, was the one that actually wound up meeting me. And that changed the way that I to keep this private because you do not know whose life you're either saving or prolonging because I guarantee you she got five eggs with everything that was going through her body. And I guarantee you just knowing there was a possibility helped her fight a little bit longer for her own yes. life. Yes. And so these are the reasons that we cannot keep these things in and we cannot have a shame response to our body. We have to be grateful of every day that we wake up and it just allows us to get more information and whether the fertility part is working as we quote unquote think it should or whether or not it's not, there is something to be grateful for. There is a use beyond yourself for every journey and challenge that we're put in. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you for sharing that. I, I was the same way. I didn't talk about it until after, mainly because I didn't realize how, what a big deal it was at the time. Yeah. You know, it was like, I, if I have my 401k and I'm freezing my eggs, it was kind of like checking off the box of the list, right? right. Like mm -hmm. I'm single at this age, I better like get it together before it's too late. So yeah, it wasn't until after the fact that I realized that's actually a pretty big deal to go through and it, it is going to help somebody else. And I really do encourage so many people now to what, to your point earlier, whatever your reason is, right? Whether it's you have a partner and you want to wait till later or whatever, like plan now because it's going to help you so much later down the road. Yeah. Yeah. I also want to touch on real quick about your advocacy specifically for black men and women who are going through this, because I feel like this is not talked about enough. I have so many clients that are black women who have gone through this journey, who feel even more like they're alone on this, this path of fertility to your point of what you've mentioned. Also, I've had people that are looking for egg donors that it's harder to find black women who are, you know, offering egg donation, which is really frustrating and heartbreaking when you have somebody that you care about that's going through this that is wants a child so badly and they come across all these, I don't know, unforeseen situations that weren't expected. So what can you help us to educate us with to help that community in a way that will be moving the needle forwards so that again they don't feel so alone and that it brings us awareness that there's this whole other side of um i don't know what the right word to use is but it's very different unfortunately for black men and women that are going through infertility than for white men and women or any other or group for that matter so what can you help us to kind of leave us with so that we can go on and kind of, again, have that domino effect to say, this is what's happening. This is the awareness that you should have. And this is how you can help. 
Well, part of it is answered in the fact that you ask the question and being an ally. You know, we do live in this country and we, we cannot ignore the fact that it was um, developed through racist ideology. And that's just the way it is. I speak to black and brown um, people that are going through this because that's who I am. I'm speaking to myself. And until you see yourself represented in something, you do not feel a part of the, the conversation and, and mm. you do not feel seen. And so um, asking the question um, isn't of itself um, a beginning and, and a start. I remember doing an interview, I won't say for what or for whom, um, but someone, a reporter was going to be uh, writing my expert, my, what I was saying. And in, in that conversation, when they were sending me notes, they said, you know, I'm not a black woman, so I don't have this experience, but she will, Kelly Stewart will be offering da, 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 da. And I said, I'm going to stop you guys right there. If this is where we're starting, I'm not doing this interview. Because if you feel that because you are not a black woman, you don't have this experience, what you're, you are a woman. Yeah. So what you are telling me is that if something doesn't affect you, then you can't speak on it. And I fully disagree because I speak, I speak on things that do not affect me on my daily basis all the time. And so they were like, oh, okay, I get it. Right. If something is not fair to one woman, it should not be fair to you either. You should feel just as angry 100%. and um, just as upset. Um, so that's one thing to, to understand where we fit in the uh, conversation. Also, um, like I said earlier, African-American women, Black women um, are seen through the eyes of um being fertile and it goes back to being enslaved African women that were breeders for more slaves. And so that ideology has been around for hundreds of years, including um, what America considers the father of gynecology was doing procedures on enslaved African women without anesthesia. Mm. And so this is a bias that um, has been going on since before any of us were even on this planet. So we have to first under, understand the internal bias and also that it still exists within the medical community. It still exists within the doctors that I may go to see that may not be black or brown. They may think that my pain does not matter. It doesn't count that I'm not really in pain. You know, my gynecologist for a very long time was a white woman that always told me, don't worry, you're young. You have time, I'm sure you're fertile. She did not know that there was never an AMH, an FSH or anything done, but there is a bias about youth. There's a bias about color. There's a bias about culture. There's a bias about all of those things. And so one of the things that I think that people can do is have an advocate with you. So if you know a black or brown woman that might be going through um, infertility, go with her to the doctor, write down the questions she should be asking. Don't let her go through this on her own be a face of, of support and also a face of accountability. Um, because I really think that that matters. Even if, you know, we have a lot of um, tele-doctor appointments now that are all virtual, hop on her appointment, you know, and say, I'm here because, well, my doctor didn't tell me this and my doctor told me this. Like, be the advocate and be the support system. Also understand that Black women die during birth at a much higher rate than our white counterparts. 
We have fibroids, endometriosis, almost one third as much um, as our white counterparts. And so educating everybody on the disparities that are going on and that are, that are also, you know, within our, within our bodies that just naturally, this is what happens. Right. Um, educating people and continuing the conversation is a necessity. And every time you have a microphone, if you're an advocate or if you're speaking about it, mention it. Because the more we don't mention it, the more it continues to get pushed back to the side. A lot of this is about normalizing all of the faces yes. of, of infertility. And to Rebecca Flick's credit, and Rebecca, um, you guys, works with um, Resolve. I will say this because she became, she's a white woman that became um, an avid watcher of Warrior Wednesdays. One of the things that she said to me on the day that we lit up the Empire State Building is, you know, I didn't realize how much I was a part of the problem, not amplifying the voices of black and brown women. And you helped me learn that. And, and I'm part of the problem, Kelly. And I said, no, you're part of the solution. Yeah. The minute that that tear ran down her cheek and the minute that she said, I need your butt in New York City to turn this thing on. And I told her, you became part of the solution. Keep being the solution. It shouldn't all fall on my shoulders. It shouldn't all fall on her shoulders. It's all of our shoulders yes. to make sure not just black and brown, but that, you know, um, Asian women and Indian women, you know, right. that, that all of us and, and men get represented fairly. Yes. Well, thank you for that. I really appreciate you sharing all of that because I think infertility doesn't discriminate much to nope. everybody's, you know, thoughts of what they've read or along the lines or whatever, men, women, black, white, brown, all Asian, all those things. And some people joke about their culture and how, oh, you know, we, we don't have that. Well, I promise you there is somebody within every culture that is going through it and having that awareness, especially with what you just said with fibroids, endometriosis, PCOS, all of those things. I know all the beautiful women that have come into my life have really traumatic stories about all of those things and the pain that they go through on a daily basis to try to get through them. You, we can help. We can help again by guiding them in the right direction by just being there and empathizing with them and saying, I'm so sorry that you're feeling this pain and you haven't been able to find the right doctor to figure it out for you yet, but letting them know you will get through it and we can all help. We're showing up as a collective. Absolutely. And I just want to mention one thing and I appreciate everything that you said, but you did mention egg donors being um, harder yeah. for people of color. I don't know if you are familiar with Eloise Drain, but if yes. you are not, yes, she's amazing. And um, she uh, started the first um, egg donor and surrogacy agency in Atlanta that happens to be um, a black woman who was also a surrogate and all of those things. And she has been an incredible resource yes, she um, is. for everyone. Everyone doesn't matter what culture you come from and specifically for um, women of color as well. Um, being a woman of color and her story, even about how um, egg donor um, facilities turned her away and said, uh, black women don't need egg donors. A hundred percent. I had her My on the dog's podcast. on the floor. 
Oh God. Agree. I agree. I, when she said that, I was like, how is that even gonna, possible? I'm going to be listening to that episode as soon as we, as soon as we're done our beautiful episode, because yes, that's what people need to know and hear yes. so they can see what this bias really looks like. That's what yeah. it looks like in real life. A healthy woman that just wanted to help other women was literally turned away from doing so because of the color of her skin. And that should just make all of us right. pause and say, what the hell, you know? Yeah. So yeah. we're, we're working, we're pushing, we're pushing. Yes. Yes. Well, again, thank you for your time. Thank you for being here. Thank you for educating the world on your journey and everybody else's and turning on that orange light and making such a huge shift in the consciousness of the collective of women and men that are going through infertility because there is no price tag that you can ever put on the ability to to educate and bring awareness to this situation so thank you so much from the bottom of my heart thank you and thank you for all you do yes thank you for I, all I, you do thank you for being here thank you for listening to this episode of the pretty little tribe podcast Follow up on Instagram at the Pretty Little Tribe or at Elizabeth King underscore coaching for updates, resources, and a community to connect with. If you are looking for extra support and tools to guide you along your TTC and parenting journey, visit ElizabethKing.com. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast everywhere you're listening for a chance to receive a special gift. Visit ElizabethKing.com backslash Pretty Little Tribe podcast for more information on how to enter. Any review counts. I just appreciate your honest feedback so I can provide you with the best support possible in your TTC and parenthood journey. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.